You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Shank, we're quickly approaching 3,000 followers. Wow. On Instagram. I wonder if all those folks are actually alcoholic or if they just like following the the page Alcoholics Alive. I wouldn't follow it if I wasn't an alcoholic, but that's just me. Doesn't make much sense. But anyway, hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. Thanks for uh, for following us. We um, we're going to get right to the episode. We got a great guest. He's a repeat guest. He's a fan favorite, Graham. What's gravel? Now your thing says gravel. What does that? What does that mean, gravel? Well, that's what my name means. My name means uh, gravel house, apparently. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. Love it. You don't really know, huh? I don't. Who who really knows? Uh, okay. But that's that's what it. Yeah, it means gravel house. That's like the ancient meaning of it. So I don't know what a gravel house is, but that's what I am. I like that gravel house. Tell us a little bit about yourself, gravel house. Well, uh, I'm located in Virginia. Uh, I'm not from here originally, of course. I'm from Scotland, and uh, he's really from I- West Virginia. Don't don't <laughs> let that accent fool you. Yeah, in the mountains. And uh, my sobriety date's October the 19th, 1997. And uh, that's the date that I, I started attending AA shortly after that. Uh, so I am a guy who started drinking as a teenager in my early teens. I didn't have a long social drinking period and then cross a line into alcoholism. I guess I crossed the line the first time I drank and uh, had a blackout, had a great time and wanted to do it all over again. So that was kind of how it was. So that just went on through the teen years. It got worse. My behavior got worse. The things I did and said increasingly hurt the people around me and myself too. And then at the age of 25, I had an experience where uh, by this time, I was doing a lot of binge drinking, heavy binge drinking, and was feeling very, very unhappy and desperate in between the binges. And so I had an experience where I woke up one morning. Uh, I'd had a binge the night before. I had promised myself I wouldn't drink that night. and Nonetheless, I got absolutely wasted on alcohol and did and said some very embarrassing things. So I woke up and... And the next morning, curled up in a ball, crying, and just realized suddenly I was always going to be like this, no matter what I did and no matter where I went. I happened to be in Japan at the time this all happened. I'd ran away to Japan to change my life for the better. And uh, anyway, so with that realization, I was always going to be like this. I, I, I didn't believe in God at that time, but I guess inside my mind, I, I asked for help. And... Uh, I've never had a serious desire to drink or take drugs since that day. And uh, that was a Sunday 
back in uh, 1997. I did start to attend Alcoholics Anonymous, I believe, a few weeks after that. And I've been attending AA ever since then, and I've been sober ever since then. Uh, so, you know, the guy that saved my life, my first sponsor, he took me through the steps more or less as soon as we met. We did them in, over the course of maybe six or eight weeks. And uh, ever since then, I've known the truth about alcohol, which is I just can't drink one day at a time. I'm, uh, there's a bit in our book that talks about he couldn't drink even if he wanted to. And it, it kind of seems like that. I'm, I don't feel tempted by alcohol. I don't feel I'm avoiding alcohol. I feel like I've been, the problem's just been removed. I do a lot of stuff in AA. Uh, I sponsor some people. Uh, I'm very active in my home group. Uh, jails, prisons, I take meetings into them regularly. In the local rehab as well. And uh, I really love the people in my home group. We do a lot of stuff together. We're involved in each other's lives. And they're kind of like me, you know, the... Uh, <laughs> They have to live sober as well, and that's no picnic sometimes, but we're there for each other. So I really love AA. It saved my bacon. Over the years, I guess I've reluctantly come to believe in a power greater than me, a higher power. Some people call it God. That's fine. But for me, it's very much linked to my participation in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't think it really exists unless I'm active in Alcoholics Anonymous. So... And now I'm in Virginia. You know, my life's pretty normal today. Uh, I'm married. I've got a couple of kids. And, uh, you know, my life's very good. My life is very good today. And it seems to continue that way so long as I keep doing the things I learned how to do in AA. So I'm really glad to be here with you guys today. The heat of the summer is over. And... Uh, I guess we're going to be talking about uh, part of a story today that you guys dug up out the big book. Is that what's happening? That that is what's happening. We uh, we're excited to have you. We appreciate you coming back on as a guest. And don't call the heat down yet. It's it, there's still time for it to come back. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Shank, what's our topic today? Our topic today is a swell pair of screwballs. Whoa. And I just, is I that, really. Is that YouTube? Is that no, you it's YouTube. I was really thinking of Wayne and Gravel, swell pair of screwballs. I mean, this story sounds like y'all could have just done this a couple weeks ago, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm going to read where this comes from. It's in one of the stories, The Vicious Cycle, on page 226. Um, and it says, this is about the middle of the paragraph. We checked into the home of Hank, the man who had fired me 11 years before in Mississippi. And there I met Bill, our founder. Bill had then been dry three years and Hank too. At the time, I thought them just a swell pair of screwballs for they were not only going to save all the drunks in the world, but also all the so-called normal people. All they talked of that first weekend was God and how they were going to straighten out Jackie, Jackie's and my life. In those days, we really took each other's inventories firmly and often. Despite all this, I did like these new friends because, again, they were like me. So this is a story about Jim B. And Jackie that he's speaking of in the story was his sponsor. 
at that time who ended up drinking again and then he was able to kind of help him which was it's pretty interesting yep that's aa that's how it goes do you know what a swell pair of screwballs is actually what is a swell pair of in this I'm... context <laughs> Well, I'm glad of screwballs is part of the statement. It just didn't say a swell pair. <laughs> that, <laughs> that could mean a couple of different things. So what is a swell pair of screwballs? So from my understanding, kind of what I could dig up about the time that the book was written, that the story was kind of going on, um, swell is great or first rate. Like swell is just really, really better than good for sure screwballs were people who were maybe like eccentric crazy very peculiar maybe a little odd um so that does describe us correct correct (laughs) um he's probably saying that like he thought bill and hank were like odd or crazy maybe slightly sarcastic tone but probably in like an endearing or an amusing way, like as he's telling the story, like he, I think he kind of wants it to come across as like, Hey, it was just these two eccentric guys walking in, trying to help me. Like they had this so-called solution going on. Like they were just, you never would have expected these guys who had been, um, you know, so I guess like revered maybe in their professions or what have you. And then they're just like, oh, yeah, we're alcoholics. We're trying to stay sober (laughs) here. You sound like he might be a little skeptical, too, of them actually saving the, what did he say? He's going to save all the drunks? Yeah, the so-called normal, all the drunks and the so-called normal people. Yeah. And the normal people. So So this story was happening before the book was written. Whoa. Guy got... People got sober before the book was written? Uh, hard to believe. How about that? Hard to believe. So, um, yeah, I thought that was just an interesting little kind of factoid there. Graham, what do you think about that paragraph yeah. there? I think it's very interesting because... Uh, like these guys so i want to point out my first sponsor didn't really use the book alcoholics anonymous he didn't really he knew i really was an atheist at that time and very very angry i would bristle at the word god so i guess he figured just to try to sidestep that i mean he gave me a big book said you know you should read this right (laughs) but but he uh he verbally took me through the steps basically and, and and then we did an inventory you know i did an inventory he showed yeah. me how to do it it wasn't exactly like it's outlined in the book i guess but it it was about my resentments and my fear and so forth so uh and i was able to whatever needed to happen happened as a result of him helping me i believe I, you know as far as the screwballs i think a screwball is also a kind of alcoholic drink uh, so i think that i think that's a Screwdriver. Screwdriver. <laughs> okay. 
Thank you. There's a highball and a screwdriver. I think if you bring them both together, it's called a screwball. Nice. <laughs> uh, nice. We'll take it. I just made that up. But no, I agree with you too. I think uh, they were very perhaps evangelical at that time. I think they were in the Oxford group or had just separated from the Oxford group, which was like trying to return to first century Christianity before the church was made. And you had a kind of hierarchy in the church that started telling people what to do. So it was all about this one-on-one relationship with a power greater than you, with God, whatever you thought God was. And uh, and like you said before we started recording, uh, you know, I think it really speaks to the simplicity of the, the AA program, which I think often can get lost because I would suggest that in AA and different areas in AA, we've recently over the last, let, let's say since AA started, we've built up these structures and hierarchies within AA that were actually never there. And yeah. just like in perhaps the original church that the Oxford group was seeking to break away from, I think Bill Wilson and those guys that started AA, they, they were not really interested in that. And I think they saw the danger of that, of having a hierarchy that started complicating and coming in between people in this personal relationship with a power greater than them as they understood it. And that's a lot of clutter that really overcomplicates and lengthens this process of people finding that relationship. And of course, one of the best places to find that relationship turns out to be helping other people. That's where you can find that. And uh, and that's what I love about this story is that these guys are desperate. They're desperate to stay sober and they understand that their life is on the line and they need each other. And so what they do is they uh, try to help each other. I love the way it says that they they take they took each other's inventory often mm-hmm. firmly. Yeah. And I do like that. There's someone in my home group that's very good at that, and she <laughs> nice. She told me nameless. But if there's some new people and they you know they've been coming a few weeks and they decide not to come out for dinner. And and we go out for dinner as a home group after the meeting every week. We all go. Nobody likes the food at that place. We're not going for the food, you know. But we go because it's important that we go. It's important that we give our time to each other. And she's very quick. If 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 a newcomer suddenly says, "Oh, I'm tired. I have to go to work tomorrow," she's very quick to say, "You know, this is about you participating. If you want to stay sober, you should just come out for dinner." And just surrender to coming out for dinner every week because that's part of what we have to do to stay sober is give our time to each other. But anyway, I don't want to digress. I think this story is great. And uh, these guys had not been sober a long time, but they were they were helping each other. And uh, if they seemed a little... I think I definitely, when I came to AA, went through what I'll call an evangelical phase. I was just so unhappy for so long and so alone for so long that when I came into AA and found the friendship and the fellowship of AA, and I guess that I was able to live life successfully and recreate my life, it really lifted me up. And then I I did get a little uh, starry-eyed for about 10 years or so. And, uh, you know, combine that with the big book. And, yeah, I was 
I was out there sometimes. I guess I was a bit of a screwball. Mm-hmm. But like these guys, in my defense, I think my heart was in the right place. I was trying to help people like people had helped me. I just wanted people to get that freedom that I had found accidentally, you know? Right. So, Jerry, correct me if I'm wrong, but, and Graham, you may know this, but the story, the vicious cycle, Jim B, that this is about, he's the one that kind of came up with suggested whatever God as we understand him. Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah he, he coined that phrase or, I guess, suggested or highly recommended that they change, that they have that phrase in step three and step 11. So, so he's yeah. the guy that they, they, they shunned him because he said he wouldn't believe in God, and then eventually he got drunk again. And yeah. he had to humble himself and call them up and say, I need your help, I'm drunk. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> him, Jim Burwell. He, he, he also is, if you read into his story, he made a 12-step call on a female and married her a year later. <laughs> that was the only 12, 12 step call he did on a female though that's what he the said the one yes. and only yes so do you all like the term a swell pair of screwballs I think it's funny yeah, yeah. it's pretty good you got, a, you got a translation I do have a translation I don't know that it's near you know a swell pair of screwballs the translation is quirky duo it works quirky duo that's good i like it i still prefer a swell pair of screwballs myself i think we'll stick with a swell pair of screwballs one of the um i think unless you want to keep it shank yeah i like a swell pair of screwballs yeah, yeah okay all right so, Graham, one of the things you talked about was helping people. I was at a an AA event yesterday, mm-hmm. and there is a group there that requires people to be sober for a year before you can sponsor anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting. In your experience, I mean, how long do you really need to be sober before you can start helping somebody? That's a great question. And and to that point, one of the local rehabs we go to has recently said that people that are less than a year sober, they don't want them going into Shia. They don't want them to go into the rehab and help people. You have to be a year sober. So they just came out with that. But anyway. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. So, So it's definitely, you know, these sobriety requirements. Uh, so as far as helping people, uh, when I meet guys, I usually meet them at AA meetings. And, uh, you know, they they maybe ask me to help them if they ask me to sponsor them. The, the first time I talk with them, uh, I basically just give them a, a short list of things that, that I do to stay sober. Uh, it's not AA approved, I guess, but it's like go to meetings, you know, go to three committed meetings a week. You know, sure. call your, I, I just write it down so that they know it. But one of the main things that I do on that first talk when we're at Starbucks or whatever is I explain to them that moving forward at every single meeting they attend, I want them to watch for the person that raises their hand and identifies themselves as a newcomer, another male preferably, 
And after the meeting, I want them to approach that person, put their hand out and give the guy their phone number, try to get his phone number if he's open to that. And then to give the guy, you know, invite him out to a coffee, invite him to another meeting, make sure he's got the meeting app on his phone. Has he got a big book? And that they can start doing that basically at one day sober. There's no reason that they can't do that. Yep. Reaching out to other people in meetings, other men uh, who are also new and offering them some help. Uh, so that's really my take on it is that that is as important and as fundamental to all of this as that. That's really the secret to AA, I guess. And, you know, it's funny because the, the steps have, where I'm located and in many places, the steps have become some kind of weird, intellectualized okay. uh, self-help program to make me feel better, but mm -hmm. above all, to make me good. Mm -hmm. Okay, So the purpose of the steps, according to what I hear all the time, is that I am now going to be good. Whatever yep. that is. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I live in the Bible Belt, just on the edge of the Bible Belt. So yeah, a lot of times this is also tied to a particular religion as well. But anyway, so my, that's not my understanding at all. My understanding is I can help people right out the gate. I might not be sponsoring them and taking them through the 12 steps, but I can help people. I can give people my time, uh, recovery-related. But the reason to do the steps is to get the things out of the way so I can be ready to do the thing that's really going to keep me sober, which is helping other people get sober and stay sober in me, joining together and creating this fellowship of people with that common goal. So I think it's, uh, I don't want to use the word sad. I think it's overused. What does that even mean? I think it, it, I just find it troubling and annoying sometimes that it seems as time goes on, it becomes more and more and more confusing for new people who come to our fellowship to really discern what that is we're actually doing here. And I think there's a lot of overcomplication. And usually it's to puff up somebody's ego, you know. It, it couldn't just be this simple that you, you know, I mean, what are the elements of these experiences that a lot of people in AA have? It gets so bad that I can't take it anymore. I cry out for help and I'm helped. And then I mysteriously find myself in AA a few days later and then, you know, these people save my life. It's crazy. So that that's what I feel about that topic. What's your experience, Wayne? Very similar. Mm -hmm. The guy that made the 12-step call on me when I was sitting in detox, not even completely sober. I mean, I was still somewhat intoxicated, but after he made the, I mean, during the call, he, I mean, I'll never forget it. I don't remember everything he told me, but he did say that if I got better, that he hoped that I would try to help somebody else. And he even told me that he was there that morning. It was a Sunday morning. He left whatever he was doing to come make a call on me that he was there basically to help me. And by doing that, he helped himself. And, you know, when I not long after that would start going to AA meetings and took the steps, you know, I took the steps immediately. I did, did a fifth step at about five weeks sober and started making amends. But I was, I was immediately told to help people. And it's probably good meeting shrapnel for a later season, but the idea, Hey, if you've been sober one day, you can help the guy or two days, you can help the guy that's been sober. It's, it's, 
it sounds goofy, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's what I was told. And I, I mean, I immediately started reaching out to people at meetings and talking to them, even though I was scared to death and I would give rides to people. I was one of the few young guys that actually had a driver's license and a car and I would, I'd pick people up halfway houses and take them to meetings and then take them back. And after talking to them, I'd be grateful for the problems I had. And I, you know, I started sponsoring, I think about, I was sober about three months, started sponsoring people. So, I mean, you can't read anywhere in the book that says don't help people. I mean, you can, it's, it's what it's all about. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. Bill Wilson got sober because somebody came to see him. He didn't call Abby. Right. Abby wouldn't talk to him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bill helped Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob wasn't calling anybody. Bill called him or called Henrietta and Henrietta called, made the call. Bill Dotson, AA number three, they went to see him. He wasn't asking for anybody. He was beating up nurses. Um, <laughs> and I would imagine these two guys here, when the two swell pair of screwballs, when Jim came to see him, they helped him. They didn't say, oh, we haven't been sober long enough to help you. And if you read further on in the story, they immediately told him to help people. You know, guy started AA in Philadelphia. He didn't sit around worrying about his problems and you know, analyzing steps. Well, he probably did a little bit since he came up with the phrase, God, as we understood him. But um, the other thing that's interesting that, and Shank, you probably can identify with this one, is that he probably felt completely different than those guys because they were kind of like, what Graham was saying, they were evangelizing probably. They were drunk on God or spiritually intoxicated, as spiritual we would say. Spiritual intoxication. So he probably felt very different than them. Mm-hmm. Even though Hank, he worked for Hank years ago, but he probably felt very different than them. But yet they helped him. And it's another kind of misconception in AA nowadays is that you have to have somebody that's just like you to help you or that. You got to have somebody that you completely identify with that can help you. But, you know, so can we receive help from people that have different backgrounds than us? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, I haven't really, whatever, quote, heard my story. I'll take that back. I did one time at a state convention when I was on a state convention committee. And the way the woman talked about it was so graphic and um, it was not in a general way that I had to get up and walk out. So um, it was really inappropriate, in my opinion. But um, uh, pretty much everyone that's ever helped me seriously has had way different upbringing than me. You know, my current sponsor comes from old money. She's an old timer. She's great. But, you know, sometimes we'll get into conversation and she's helped me so much throughout my entire sobriety. And I've had a few sponsors, but she's always kind of been in the background, even when I had other sponsors. And, you know, she'll tell a story often about you know, I'll go into what I feel like is like the most horrible thing or in it pretty horrible. 
And she'd be like, you know, that reminds me of when I was 17 and my parents wouldn't let me drive my car to the beach house. And I was <laughs> so very upset. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? It, like, that's not, what, what do you mean? Um, but I don't judge her for that. Her experience is her experience. And, you know, she is able to talk to me about Alcoholics Anonymous, about staying sober, about helping others. And she has far more experience, you know, than I do. And she's very direct with me. I also like how they talk about they took in each other's inventories firmly and often because my sponsor, even though she has, you know, 30 plus more years than I do. Uh, she will still ask me too, like, you know, here's kind of what happened or whatever. And I'll be like, that doesn't sound great. <laughs> that sounds like what you were telling me not to do like right. a month ago, <laughs> you know? Um, so I do really like that. It's never felt to me. I did have one sponsor at one point who also helped me a lot. It did feel like she um, uh, knew more than me, would tell me what to do, would tell me what actions to take or not take and kind of directed my life. But, um, you know, other than that, and that was just like periods of time here and there where I probably need to hear, needed to hear what she had to say, but it's always felt like, um, you know, I don't feel like I'm inferior to other people who are trying to help me in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't feel better than them either. Superior. I mean, sometimes maybe, okay. Like I may be like, wow, that person really sucks, but, uh, I'm a human being. But there were so many people that were helping me who had such different background, upbringing. They hadn't been to jail or prison. They got out of their 25 felonies because they said a prayer and started AA the correct way, um, which apparently I didn't do. <laughs> and um, that's a joke for you all listening. That's sarcasm. But um, pretty much everyone who's ever help me has had a wildly vastly different story than yeah. I do and it's always explained to me like when I walk into the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous all of that other stuff does not matter it's irrelevant yep yeah it's one alcoholic up and another AA is probably one of the only places where a, an unemployed house painter can help a CEO yes or a yeah, I, I actually know a, a like an ex gang leader who spent most of his life in prison sponsoring a professional golfer. That's actually go. won PGA tournaments. Mm -hmm. It's just it's crazy. Graham, you uh, you think people from different backgrounds can help? Yeah, I I agree absolutely with what you're both saying. Uh, what I find in uh, I got sober in Japan, so the culture there is very different than it is in, I guess, Europe and North America. And uh, nevertheless, and there was also a, a significant language barrier as well, going to meetings that were conducted in Japanese. I, I'm not good at speaking Japanese. Uh, but nevertheless, even just physically going to those meetings. So what that led me to believe at one time was that what was actually said in the meetings was secondary to me actually going to the meeting. And I, I, I really still believe that to some extent because, you know, I've been going to AA meetings for a long time. It's on, it's rare that I, I still love going to meetings and I love listening to people share. I really do. I really listen. I, I look at them and I focus on what they're saying. And uh, 
but I have to say it's been a long time, I guess, since I've heard something that really blew my socks off. Like, wow, you know. Mm-hmm. But so what that leads me to believe <laughs> is, and and going to meetings that are conducted in a language that you don't really understand, but nevertheless being able to stay sober and really get a great benefit from going to that meeting, it really led me to believe that personally for me, it's not so much about what's said in the meeting or what I say in the meeting. It's about the fact that I'm going to the meeting. And I'm going there, I guess, with an open heart to try to see if I can help people. And and also, uh, in some way, maybe to receive some help myself. So, uh, yeah, I think I think this is a very intangible thing. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, I think, I think there's another level of connection that takes place in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings that's really below the surface. And like you guys have said, it really doesn't matter. Uh, you know, who you are on the outside, how much money you make on the outside, what your problems are, your beliefs on the outside, what matters is what's going on in the inside, and and I guess on that other plane. The other thing I'll say is I spent four years of my recovery in Scotland and the city of Glasgow, which is a city that's really been uh, plagued by sectarian violence and religion for many years, which spilled over from the troubles in Northern Ireland. So uh, a lot of Catholic versus Protestant hatred and violence and division. And I was very surprised when I started to attend AA in Glasgow that all of that was left at the doors. And these are people really that hate each other. They hate each Mm -hmm. other because you're a Catholic, so I hate you. You're a Protestant, I hate you. And I really never, ever heard that brought into any meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was literally right outside the door. And I'm sure a lot of those people that attended those meetings were actively sectarian outside the meeting. And yet it was never, I never witnessed it in any of the hundreds of meetings that I went to while I lived there. So I think AA really is good at doing that. It's good at sticking to its primary purpose. And and most people leave uh, their, their, personal, their, their personal idiosyncrasies at the door. I would say, however, that that recently in my local area, we started to see an uptick in people bringing what I would determine to be personal things into the meeting, personal grievances, I guess, you know, uh, whether it's the, you know, the current, uh, the current noise around trans people's issues and rights or, uh, you know, also some uh, racial things coming into the meetings as well, uh, I would say overall, but but mostly it's okay. Mostly it's, it's it's not really been getting out of hand, I don't think. But I think it's important that we maintain that singleness of purpose and the clarity of what we're actually doing. I think it actually might be getting a little out of hand. Uh, it's, a, it's a powerful thing you talk about with the Protestants and the Catholics coming together for a group and you know, not forcing the other one to change for them. Yes. That is actually going on a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous now with a couple of things you just mentioned with, you know, people coming in with different, you know, uh, pronouns and religions and, and, you know, one or two people wanting the entire group or an entire district to change something just because they think it offended them. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just nonsense. We, we come here because we're alcoholics. We've got a common problem which is our alcoholism and we've got a common solution 
And the steps and traditions, the way that they're already written, insulate us from all that stuff. You can come here no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, and you can come here and get help. You know, so to force your little bit of ideology. One of, the, one of the great things, too, I think, is the autonomy that if you don't like what is going on in a meeting, if it upsets you or if you think it's just flat out wrong. I mean, you know, I changed my home group a few years ago and it wasn't because out of resentment. I just, you know, I I wanted certain things out of a home group and the group I was attending just wasn't going that direction. I was a minority opinion. I said, hey, here's kind of what I think. The The group conscience did not agree with me. So I changed my home group and I was able to leave that group on good terms. I go back to it often. I love those people. I was a member of that group for a long time. Um, but I was able to go somewhere where I felt more comfortable or I felt like, you know, my primary purpose lined up a little better at that time. And that is what I love about Alcoholics Anonymous is I'm always going to, I, I'm also autonomous. I can go wherever I need or want to go. The minority opinion is so important. I do truly believe that. But hey, I spoke up. No one, pretty much no one else agreed. And so I kept it moving. And that was fine. You know, like I, I didn't go around telling everyone that meeting sucks because I had a great idea or I wanted to do something differently and no one agreed or I didn't stay there and complain about it. Yeah. yeah. That's what I love about Alcoholics Anonymous. It does seem like, you know, we're kind of getting away from that a little bit, but um I really appreciate that and I tell everyone yeah, any chance that I get that that is one of the most beautiful things about Alcoholics Anonymous is it's an even playing field when we walk into the meeting. And it doesn't yeah. matter, you know, that I'm a felon, that I've been to prison whatever that I lived in a studio apartment for five years or like, it just, it really doesn't matter. Yep. Well, here's one for you. So in, you know, in today's modern times, is the book really all we need to help people? Isn't it a little outdated? Well, uh, Grant, what this, do you think? this story, no? Jim B didn't have a book. So should we well, that's audit a good his sobriety? That's a good question. And Graham too didn't, right? Very simple. Yeah. Just took this. He just took the actions of the steps, right? But I don't yeah. know. That's a good, good question. Is the book outdated? Well, I think those are, so it, I really started to become aware of it pretty early in recovery. And my, uh, one of my sponsors would, would talk a lot about not changing the big book because it had been successful in uh, transmitting the message of how to get sober, uh, transmitting the experience of the first group of people that got sober for later generations and people in different places. So he was pretty clear on that. And then uh, I guess, you know, as a newcomer, when I read the big book on my own, I found, it number one, it was very confusing. I didn't really understand it very well. There was bits of it I read, and I thought, yeah, that's... That, that got my attention, especially the first part when it talked about drinking a lot. But then it seemed to talk about God a lot, and I just thought, this is weird, you know. What's this got to do with anything, you know? Uh, so the first sponsor, uh, really, I guess he knew the big book, and he just had digested it, and he realized what it was I had to do 
as a member of AA in order to stay sober. So he he was able to kind of navigate me through that without necessarily sitting down and reading the book. Uh, so as far as whether so the language in the book, let's talk about that. So the language in the book is more or less a hundred years old now, and it's English as it was spoken in the you know I guess by middle class upper middle class guys in AA in, in America about a hundred years ago. This would be their vocabulary, and. You know, we were lamenting before the recording started how uh, education generally, not just in the States, but generally has uh, has taken a nosedive since then. And so is that a barrier to people using the book Alcoholics Anonymous? Do you need a dictionary in order to get sober? Do you have to carry around a 1933 dictionary and look up every <laughs> word to, stay so- to get sober and stay sober in Alcoholics Anonymous? I would argue no. Right, and and I think you know the the men I read with, I would say, have an average education, the same as myself. You know, I'm I'm no Harvard guy, uh, and I think when we sit and read together, we're able to discuss it and understand what it's asking us to do, what it's explaining. So I've never really found that a huge barrier. I do go into a lot of prison and jail meetings over the years, and I I, I would say that in that instance. The language in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I believe, is absolutely a barrier to the understanding of some of those men. Their reading level is so poor. But that's the great thing is that we have Alcoholics Anonymous members who are sober, who know the book. And I believe what we're able to do is bring the language of the book to be more relatable to people. So... Mm -hmm. I guess there's a movement in Alcoholics Anonymous now. It's this, and, and I became aware of it in the pandemic. I noticed some changes in AA during the pandemic that really shocked me. Uh, f- the first thing that happened was the preamble was changed, and it didn't seem like there'd been a whole lot of discussion. My, I think my home group was still virtual at the time, and just suddenly we had a new preamble, boom. And then I start hearing all these things, oh, we're going to rewrite the big book, and we're going to take all the pronouns out the big book. And we're going to make, and then there was another idea that we'd write a different big book that people that can't really understand this version of the big book, the original version, would be able to read it and understand. So that was something else that, that seemed to be on the menu. And I think it's it has passed and it's going to come to pass. So my perspective is a, a very vocal minority seems to have cleverly infiltrated and maybe overtaken the service structure of Alcoholics Anonymous and has been able to push through some changes that I, based on the people I talked to in AA, does not seem to reflect the general feeling that I that I talk to people in AA about. And most of the people I talk to in AA about this kind of thing, I would say are active AA members. They're not sitting yeah. on the sidelines. They're down yeah. in the trenches. And I don't feel any really strong, powerful need for that they are expressing that this should all be changed. So I think this book really, if if it's in the hands of someone that understands the book and, and has read it and has been sponsored and has referred to the book, I think absolutely uh, it's something that uh, that we don't need to change. I think this can be transmitted to people and then they can get to know it as well. Uh, but the other, the other reality I think we need to grapple with is that reading reading is not very popular anymore. 
Younger people don't typically sit around and read books. They're not really required to do it in school a lot, it seems. Uh, they, they don't really like books. I actually read this article today where uh, some school divisions are moving away from Chromebooks and they're making people write with a pencil and paper again and read actual books. How about because, that? Because it, it doesn't seem to, to resonate the same way. So uh, I think what's going to happen is going to happen. But I think it'd be a sad day if, let's face it, if the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous gets replaced by the cliff notes of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous to make it, uh, I guess, understandable, I think a lot. the risk is that we lose a lot of uh, the, the colour and the tapestry of the programme. It, it kind of gets taken out and it just becomes this, this group of people that I'm not really sure... Uh, have the same understanding as the original people that invented the program. Yeah. Well, most of them definitely aren't out helping people. Well, they think they're helping us by giving us something that we, we never really actually asked for. So I think we'll leave it there. Shank. All right. Let's move on to big book shrapnel. Let's move on. All right. Our big book shrapnel today, Gravel House and Jay Wayne. Um, we have three very exciting um, big book shrapnels today, I personally think. I'm excited. So our first one is going to be Glum Lot. Okay, let's see. It says, this is from page 132 in the family afterward. And it says, We have been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. We have been dealing with alcohol in its worst aspect. But we aren't a glum lot. If newcomers want it, if newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. Glum lot. What does that mean? So I, I, I've got a fifth grade education. I don't I can't. <laughs> so glum is kind of like looking or feeling dejected. Um, you know, which that may not even be a better descriptor of glum than glum. But just like kind of, I wouldn't say depressed necessarily. Uh, so they're they're reassuring us that they're not like a downtrodden bunch or uh, yes or unhappy you know like we don't just we're not a glum lot we don't just like get sober and then we're just intellectuals and we just go to AA meetings and go home and go to bed and go to work and go to AA meetings and go and you know, like, I think in the context of this paragraph, I never um, questioned what glum or a glum lot meant. And, you know, kind of as Graham was saying earlier, I mean, I was incarcerated. <laughs> you know, I'd been sober for three months. I didn't have access to a book for a while for a couple of months. I didn't have access to a dictionary for a while. But there are a lot of context clues in the big book. So... I think mm. reading 
you know, this paragraph, you know, it says, we absolutely insist on joining life. And I'm like, okay, well, that's the opposite of, okay, we're not a glum lot. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. So I can understand what that means. You got any thoughts on that gravel house? You know, I think glum, maybe as as they mean it in this book, it reminds me of that bit at the end of working with others. I think it's, it is on page 102 and it says, why sit with a long face in places mm-hmm. where they're drinking, sighing about the good old days? <laughs> you know, and, and have you guys ever been to an AA meeting when you walk in, it's kind of dark in there and they're all sitting around and you look at their faces and they just look like they want to kill themselves. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you look around and you think, this is a glum lot. This is a glum lot. And if I was a newcomer and I came in here, and, and then the other thing I noticed about those meetings is nobody comes up and shakes my hand and welcomes me. Yeah. Nobody even looks at me. They just have their eyes down or downtrodden. That's a glum lot right there. And so when you come to the home group, I'm a member of, that's not what happens. And I think I've been at your home group before, and that's not what happened there. What happens is a bunch of people that are glad that they've been saved from the illness of alcoholism through their participation in the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, a bunch of those people with a big smile on their face are going to shake my hand and say, welcome, great to see you. What's your name? How are you doing? You know, are you new to the area? Are you new to AA? What's going on? And and I'll, I'll look around the room and I'll see people talking to each other and laughing. And these used to be glum people. These used to be people that didn't want to live anymore. And now they found this... Uh, oasis uh, of other people just like them and, and a solution to that problem uh, of living that's called alcoholism. So so that's the people I want to be around. And that paragraph is one of my favorite paragraphs in the whole book. It goes on to say that we make our own problems. It we does, does That's yep. what it said. Yep. And so, yep. you know, I, 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 think, I think glum is a great word and I don't want to be glum. I want to be the opposite of glum. So that's the people I seek out in AA as people that, yeah, this this has been difficult. This is a rough road to travel, to, uh, to trudge. But you know what? Let's make the most of it. Let's insist on not wasting any more time. Yeah. It's one of those statements that you kind of just intuitively know what it means when it's read, even if you yeah. don't know what the word glum is. Um you got a translation for it, Shank? I do. Did you get um, this directly from the uh, Trustees Committee on Literature from GSO? or From a this... confidential document. A confidential document, okay. All yeah. right, let's see what you um, got. Okay, so what I came up with is instead of we are not a glum lot, we would be we are not a buzzkill squad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Buzzkill. Buzzkill. <laughs> oh, oh, that's great. That's great. I say we keep Glumlot, though. Glumlot is just, like, perfect to me. I'm going to keep it. Gravel House? Keep it. All right. Shank? All right. So next we have Holier Than Thou, and this is from There Is A Solution on page 18. Um, 
So this says that the man who is making the approach has had the same difficulty, that he obviously knows what he is talking about, that his whole deportment shouts at the news prospect that he is a man with a real answer, that he has no attitude of holier than thou, nothing whatever except the sincere desire to be helpful, that there are no fees to pay, no axes to grind, no people to please, no lectures to be endured. These are the conditions we have found most effective. After such an approach, many take up their beds and walk again. Holier than thou. Isn't that a Metallica song? Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, Bill had a vision, a premonition of this Metallica song, and that is why mm-hmm. it is written like this in the book. It may have. Yeah, what does it mean, Shank? Uh, you know, like more morally superior to others, uh. so that they have no attitude of like i'm better than you i'm more morally superior um you know that i'm better because i've done this and you're less because you haven't yet um that's you know more like morally upright than others yeah i like uh to keep coming back to this idea to try to debunk it as much as I can without offending everybody that being sober and alcoholics anonymous for me has never been about being good and you know I, I hear this over and over again in meetings it's like a list of things that you can't do if you want to stay sober mm-hmm. now the book does specify some areas where it warns you if you keep doing this you, you could end up getting drunk and we all know what those areas are but but the bottom line is, uh, when someone approaches me and they are good and I am bad and they're talking down to me like that, I think it talks about a spiritual hill talk. All that does is make me angry mm-hmm. and I just want to go away. And depending on my mood, I might tell you that and use some bad language to describe how much I want you to leave. But this idea that because A is different because we've all walked the same path to some extent to end up in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I think that's what takes that away. And what I also like about the home group I'm in is that we don't require people to be good. We don't require them to be good when they come to AA, but we also don't require them to get good in order to stay sober in AA. And thank Mm -hmm. goodness, because if anything, I am a very flawed person. I was before I came to AA, and I've continued to be since getting sober and being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And what has happened to me is, is that, you know, I would say over time I have improved in most areas of my life, but there's other areas of my life where I'm probably about the same as when I was drinking, and there might even be other areas where I could have gotten worse. So what about that? Ouch. So. Uh, this idea that you know I'm going to become become good Graham, and I'm going to be perfect now, and, and there's a list of things I can't do. That's, in my opinion, that's not what this is about at all, and it's not what our book says. I think what this is about is turning this all over to a power greater than me, as I understand it, and trusting that that power will change me. And over time, thank goodness, a lot of the worst excesses of my alcoholic behavior have been taken away 
but some of them haven't, and some of them could come back. I don't know. So I think this is a very important attitude. It makes people angry. And I'm sponsoring a guy right now. He's been slipping in and out of AA for eight years. And he he's told me countless people, countless men in our local AA community approached him as he was relapsing over and over again. And many of them were very mean and cruel to him and said horrible things to him about, you know, you need to pull yourself together and why are you doing this and just really talk down to him. Thanks for drinking so I don't have to. <laughs> All that stuff. Ugh. Really, really disgraceful. And I don't see any of that in our book. It talks about love, tolerance, trying to help people. Yeah. It doesn't talk about judging people and being mean to them. So, so I think it's great. Let's hope that when you know, if that should ever happen to any of us, or when we're in meetings and we see new people, let's hope that we don't talk down to them and be holier than thou because it turns people off. It's offensive. I do think, though, that there are people who believe you are coming to them in some kind of pretentious or superiority complex, holier than thou, when you are just being honest with them. You know, there's a woman I've been trying to help. She's been trying to get and stay sober at least as long as I've been sober, longer, most likely. And she keeps going back to the same situations and she drinks every time. And, you know, every time she comes back, I sponsored her for a time. And, um, you know, I said, I just don't think I'm able to to help you. I can't give you what you want. This is not therapy. This is not, you know, like I can help you get and stay sober, but I can't help you with this specific issue. You may need outside help with it. I don't, I don't know. Um, but she really did at one point, maybe three or four years ago, she really believed I was being mean and hateful and not in the spirit of AA um, because I would not discuss certain things with her because I said, hey, it, your experience shows like your, your pattern since I've known you has shown that when you go and do A, B, and Z, you drink again. Um, and, you know, uh, being very direct with her, like, hey... <laughs> I've helped this woman like clear out all the wine bottles and beer bottles. I've taken her to countless detoxes and treatment centers. I've picked her up. Um, I would do any of that again today if she called me. Like I'm always available. But sometimes I do believe that um, there are people in my life or in sobriety who 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 are unwilling to hear the truth. And they do view that as being mean or pretentious or on the spiritual mountaintop and uh, it's not up for me to decide how they feel about it but mm -hmm. I've had this conversation with my sponsor so many times over the years of just like was that mean like no, no I'm pointing out a pattern to you of like every time you do this one thing you go back to it you always drink like you can't stay sober and behave in certain ways yeah What's the what's the translation for it, Shane? Well, the translation that I like, holier than thou. Okay, so that he has no attitude of holier than thou would be that he has no attitude of acting all bougie. <laughs> well, we may have to consider this one. Hold on gravel house don't don't jump on holier than now too quick acting all bougie huh yep i mean i could see newer people 
identifying with that. Wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't that wouldn't that make the com the paragraph in the book that much easier to read for the the, the guy in the third grade education? Yeah, until a hundred years from now, when people are like, "What does acting all bougie mean?" Or they'd probably say, "Like like me mispronouncing so many things in this book." I'd probably be like, "Acting all buggy? What does that mean?" <laughs> Uh, good point. Good point. Holier than thou is not bad, is it? No. Plus, it's a Metallica song. I mean, you got to keep it in the book. You got to keep the Metallica song in the book. Come on. Gravel House, you want to keep it holier than thou or acting all bougie? I think keep it. Uh, I'm going to keep it. Shank? I'm keeping it. All right. What's next? All right, our last big book shrapnel is Promise of the New Land. So this is from page 53 um, in We Agnostics. And it says, arrived at this point, we were squarely confronted with the question of faith. We couldn't duck the issue. Some of us had already walked far over the bridge of reason toward the desired shore of faith. The outlines and the promise of the new land have brought lust to tired eyes and fresh courage to flagging spirits. Friendly hands had stretched out in welcome. So, I believe we've had some big book shrapnel from this exact paragraph already. We have. Uh, there are certain places in the book where it's just word salad to me, and I'm just like, <laughs> wow, I'm not exact. This is a lot. This is one of those paragraphs. Um, but I believe kind of what they're talking about here. The promise of the new land is hope, you know, opportunity, chance for a better life. Um, just the promise of, like, life can be different. It gets so dramatic on some stuff. Oh, yeah. The promise of the new land. And new land, N and L, are capitalized. Just for you all that are listening that may not have a book in front of you. There are several things in this paragraph. Bridge of Reason is capitalized. Um, huh. So there are several things in here. Interesting observation there. Graham, what do you think about Promise of New Land or this paragraph? I really like this paragraph. You know, I think the, the idea is that uh, I, you know, as as an active alcoholic, I was stuck in this, uh, I guess, in this cave of sorts, in this in this self-imposed perpetual crisis that just went on and on and on, and I could, I really couldn't get out of it. And it, it was it became very small for me. My life became very very small. I was very lonely. I was very isolated. There really wasn't a lot going on in my life except alcoholism, and. I like that word luster, you know, it brought luster to, to, to the eyes and that's that's this kind of light that comes on in people's eyes and, you know, the other part in the book where it talks about we can, we can face life successfully and we can recreate our lives and uh, I think for someone like me that is a new land and the idea that that was available really captured my imagination when I came to AA. Because I realized after being around AA not very long that these people had 
gotten out of that situation. They'd found a way out of alcoholism and they did live in a new land. They lived in, they were living in a new life that they couldn't live before. And uh, that's really what's in offer in A. So the, the promise that that could happen to me too. And all I really needed to do was just keep doing the actions of AA and stay close to AA. That really kept me going through what was a difficult early recovery. So I think this is great. And I don't mind flowery language. I think it's good. You know, I like I like reading books. I like poetry and stuff like that. Sometimes I, I, I don't really understand it sometimes, but I think this is pretty clear what he's talking about. Yeah, uh, that excitement that we feel when we see other people who've overcome this problem and realize this can happen to me too. This, I, this could, I could have a new life too. I can actually do this after being so hopeless for so long. I think this. Ha- I wouldn't have used these words as a new person, but when I started going to you know, at my very first speaker meeting, it was actually my first AA meeting when that guy gave that gave the talk he was very different than me but there was so much hope and enthusiasm in his talk that i knew that there was there was there was something here i wasn't real happy to be where i was at and all that but the guy gave me hope and you know by going to speaker meetings and hearing and hearing people talk in meetings about the transformation and kind of how their lives changed it certainly did look like a new land to me this would uh, this would be a good name for a group. The yeah, promise of a new land. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. Oh, uh, Shank, what's the translation for it? Okay, so translation for promise of the new land would be. Okay, so it's currently the outlines and the promise of the new land have brought luster to tired eyes and fresh courage to flagging spirits. So, what we would have in the translation is. The outlines and the promise of the next level vibes. <laughs> have brought luster to tired eyes and fresh courage to flagging spirits. Next level vibes. Yeah, it's next the next level, level vibes, vibes dog. Oh, I love that. That and acting all bougie. The book really does need to be rewritten. One thing I think that I have really realized um, over time is I've been using my very first big book lately, which is hilarious. Um, It's the one that I had when I was incarcerated. So I did look up several words that I don't remember looking up. And uh, there are several definitions in here of things that, like, I don't remember today. I don't remember looking it up. Yeah. I don't remember caring. I don't remember writing the definition in the margin here. Um, so to me, it's kind of like, why does anything need to be rewritten? I mean, I think it's fun and interesting to look things up now, being 10 years sober and realizing, hey, I don't have all of this figured out. Some things I understand. Some things as we've done, the big book shrapnel, I'm like, oh, I thought that meant something totally different. Um, so this is cool to have some more information on it. Does it change my entire sobriety? No. You know, moving forward, I think it's going to be cool to have this information to share with sponsees or whomever. But um, it's just not that big a deal, honestly. No, it's not. And it shouldn't be. I think... Um... 
next level vibes is probably gonna not make it <laughs> well once right. again 20 30 40 50 years from now it'll we'll be, be in the same predicament it'll be like what are you talking about next level vibes is this a pyramid scheme like who knows what could be said about that yeah. Then, then they'll want to translate it. Hey, let's. What about Promise of the New Land? That sounds like <laughs> something cool and hip. <laughs> oh my goodness! Sounds Grab like we're, we're keeping it. Are we keeping it, guys? Wanna... Yeah, I think we should keep it. But I think there is a bigger issue. I think over time, the language in this. I mean, have either of you ever tried to read Shakespeare? Oh my gosh! Like, seriously. Like seriously, right? I'm. I, I consider myself. I mean, I would say I've got an average education, right? I did go to college and stuff, whatever. I when I read Shakespeare. I have no idea what it's talking about. I need. So that language is what four, five hundred years old. So I guess we're coming up on a hundred years, and the language has changed. The language mm-hmm. that everyday people use, I, I guess, it's got simpler. So. And then if you think about other books, I'll, I'll just pull this out. I don't want to be controversial, but like, like the Bible, for example. Like, there's a whole bunch of different editions of the Bible, but you and I both know if you read the King James Version or a more modern version, it kind of changes the meaning of what it's saying. Yeah. So, so, so this really is an issue. Mm-hmm. And I guess, the, you know, the people that are trying to wrestle with this issue and keep everybody happy, I guess they're never going to be able to do that. But if... If the big book gets to the point in 500 years where you pick it up and it's like reading Macbeth and nobody mm. has a clue what it's talking about, what do we do then? So I don't know. So I think I think it's an ongoing discussion that, uh, you know, what I think could be a compromise would be to have like some of the non-AA big books have, like from the anonymous press, it has an index that explains the terms that it knows are confusing to people. I think that's a great idea. So it's right in there and back. So you could look up, you know, promise of a new land and it'll explain it to you in everyday mm-hmm. language. So anyway, I'm going on and on, but I think we should keep a promise of a new land. And I guess this debate is ongoing. Well, and to kind of tag on to what you said, and this is just what I've seen in my experience, but the, the majority of the women that I have helped or... Um, and the, the women that I've helped that are classically educated, so they have college degrees, master's degrees, doctorate degrees, or people that I just know um, personally very well, they're the ones that struggled much more with getting sober, and it wasn't because of the language yeah. in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, point. like they completely understood what it was saying the first time they read it, related to it, but really could not stop thinking and overthinking am i am i not i haven't lost everything i haven't been to prison i haven't done this da 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 da. so i just think it's just an interesting juxtaposition of the people that i know at least and certainly not every single one but several that could understand this exactly as it is written have struggled getting sober and staying Mm -hmm. sober yeah well it's a top it's an interesting topic we're probably going to have to cover it continue to cover in future episodes yeah grand we may bring you back on for that but uh we certainly appreciate you participating with us today and um appreciate your insight and your words and your experience and remember we are not a glum lot we're free freedom
Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode.